0: Hey, this is Rachel McElroy.
1: Hello, this is Griffin McElroy. And this is wonderful. Uh, and here's the tea, folks.
0: Okay. Oh, literal tea.
1: I thought we could do more prop comedy. We've been getting a lot of reviews lately that have uh-huh. been scathingly negative because of how little prop comedy.
0: We and did. not scathingly positive.
1: <laughs> no, scathingly negative. They say with like the words that we do,
0: mm-hmm.
1: the skits that we do, mm-hmm. the jokes, the songs we do, we mm-hmm. sing them together. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. They're great. They love those. But there's not enough sort of um, f- tangible physical interaction with props for the purpose of jokes. Mm-hmm. And so, can I was you thinking, give yeah. me
0: an example of a podcast that does have that that you feel like we should emulate? Oh
1: my god, Serial season three. Mm, a lot of props. Very funny. Uh, there's um, a
0: lot of bicycle horns.
1: All the Malcolm Gladwell ones. That dude is always fucking ripping it up. Uh huh. With a lot of really funny,
0: a lot of whoopee cushions.
1: Yeah, he'll say like, "Here's an outlier liar," and uh-huh. then he'll pick up "liar liar" on DVD and point at it, but you don't, <laughs> you won't see it. Uh-huh. That's really funny. He'll be like, "Here's the tipping point, and then he'll fall over in his chair, uh-huh. and that's fucking funny to me. It is, yeah. yeah. No, I get and it. and only me. I get it. This is wonderful. This is the show where you talk about stuff that's good and that we're into. I'm gonna. My small under is this cinnamon tea. That is the only reason why you're hearing my sounds at the moment.
0: We've had some wild temperature changes here in Austin, and Griffin's body- um, Doesn't respond well Reacting to that. negatively to it.
1: My body is like one of those old um, thermometers that you would find at a gadzooks that had all the little multicolored balls, and it would float inside of the little glass oh. cylinder full of water <laughs> that would show you- they would be at Gadzooks. <laughs> would they not have them at Gadzoo? Or Spencer's Gifts would be more likely. Uh,
0: Spencer's, I feel like, really specialized in erotic they comedy. They had
1: plasma ball. They famously had plat. Anyway, and
0: thermometers. <laughs> I'm like
1: that. Only instead of little colorful balls floating to the surface. Yes. It's plague. It's disease. Yeah. It's miasma, and mm. um. Yeah, it's rough, rough stuff. But this isn't a a complaining podcast. It's a a, a podcast where we sing songs and do skits. Mm -hmm. Do you have a small wonder? Gingerbread. Gingerbread, the concept. I almost did that as a big wonder, so I'm glad I didn't. I'm glad I sat back on it.
0: I was trying to think if I know what's in gingerbread. Mm. And obviously, there's ginger. Yeah. I imagine there's nutmeg. Probably some cinnamon. What's the brown? Probably some cloves. What's the brown? molasses molasses yeah that this is a right. fun
1: this would be a fun cooking podcast that we could do which <laughs> what's is, the brown? Say, you that's can say like a, any food and you'll be like yeah so uh this right here is broccoli casserole i'll be like what's the green and you mm-hmm. would say well sweetheart that's the broccoli
0: i would like it if it's always brown and the podcast is called what's the brown what? and every week oh, that could be good
1: that could be good <laughs> Who goes first this week? It can't be me.
0: I think it's me. I
1: think it's you. Let's just do it. I can't. I can't go to the website right now.
0: <laughs> oh, okay, because of your really comfortable uh, talk show pose. I'm seated in. in a very
1: comfortable talk show pose. I have tea <laughs> in one hand, and I'd have to set that down in order to go. You have to the website. Your legs
0: crossed at the knees. You look very conversational. Thanks. Um, I always
1: cross my legs at the knees. I used to get a hard time for it when I was like in like first grade, second grade, when boys were. Like, real shitheads about stuff like that?
0: Oh, yeah. You're supposed to put your ankle on your knee to look like a real manspreader. Because of my huge hog. Yeah. Right, guys? Because <laughs> of my huge
1: first grade dong. Fucking weirdos. <laughs> What's your first thing?
0: Uh, my first thing is superstitions. Okay. I realized this today. It's the knock on wood thing. The knock on wood thing is real important to me.
1: Okay. Like, you're talking about harmless superstitions.
0: Yeah, like like the little rituals people do to kind of ward off possible negative repercussions. Okay, yeah. I I've, knock on wood. You I, knock on wood, right? Yeah, I find myself feeling very nervous if I make some kind of declarative positive, like, this is going to be great. And then, like, I feel this desperate need to knock on wood. And then I realized, like, a lot of those rituals are very entertaining to me.
1: Okay, I, it is the kind of thing I don't think about, but I do do that every time I say anything remotely positive.
0: Well, and when I was trying to kind of research the history of it, there's a lot of kind of conflicting stories as to how these things came about.
1: Well, tell them all Which to I me. find
0: interesting. So knock on wood. So there's a there's a few things. A lot of it either goes back to kind of religious origins or just kind of ancient things that may have been religious and may not have been religious. Okay. So knock on wood ancient pagan cultures believe that spirits and gods reside in trees and that knocking may have chased away evil spirits or prevented them from listening when you boasted about something thereby preventing a reversal of fortune.
1: Okay, so you're punching or, you're punching the spirits right out them trees.
0: Or Christians have often linked the practice to the Wood of the Cross for Christ's Crucifixion. Okay, that's probably... Or, and this one's my favorite, British folklorist Steve Roud traces the practice to a 19th century children's game called Tiggy Touchwood. Sorry. Tiggy Touchwood? Tiggy Touchwood, which is a type of tag in which players were immune from being caught whenever they touched a piece of wood.
1: That seems...
0: Tiggy Touchwood.
1: It's a fun thing to say.
0: I think it might be my roller derby name.
1: Tiggy Touchwood's a really, really good roller (laughs) derby name.
0: Uh, So it sounded it sounded kind of like a home base. Like if you're playing tag, like you would go to home base and sure
1: be it. It was the pagan one though that was like explicitly for the exact reason that we still do it to this day. Yes, Yes. which makes me think that that's that's where it is.
0: That's the one that holds the most weight with me. The knock on wood feels very like I am acknowledging this thing I'm saying is chancy. And so right. I'm going to knock on this wood and that's going to address that I know what I'm saying might be foolish. So I like that one. That's a good one. Mm-hmm. There's a few other ones I wanted to talk about um, just because I learned a little bit about them and I didn't realize anything. So the mirror, the mirror thing, breaking the mirror. Oh, yes. hmm uh, ancient romans believed that souls regenerated every 7 years
1: that's news to me
0: that you're like your health and your body like regenerates every 7 years and that a mirror contains fragments of your soul so if you break the mirror that's 7 years bad luck until everything regenerates again that are you sure That's That's what I found on the internet? That's wild. That's what I found on the internet?
1: Ancient Romans thought every seven years you...
0: Well, have you you heard that about like your skin? Like every... I don't know if it's. Seven
1: I don't think years. it's. It's like thirty six hours. <laughs> Every thirty six hours, you're a bunch of new cells. <laughs>
0: but like your skin sloughs off, and basically the person you are now is sloughs the person off. Jesus,
1: this is visceral. <laughs> Every seven years, my soul is regenerated, mm-hmm. and it lives inside that mirror. So please don't. I think that this whole thing came from back then. Mirrors were very expensive. That's possible. and so people were like this like if you break my mirror your yeah. soul will be destroyed uh-huh. just to keep people from you know horse playing
0: yes do you want to hear about the ladder yeah yeah walking into the ladder this is the one with kind of conflicting source material so in christianity there's the doctrine of the trinity and when you lean a ladder against a wall it forms a triangle this can't be it <laughs> that's such a wild stretch and that, like breaking the triangle, is like desecrating the Trinity. That's not true for anything else. <laughs> but, I've also seen it tied to Egypt. Uh, the ancient Egyptians obviously placed a lot of uh, value on the pyramid, the triangle, and to break the triangle again, that's a problem.
1: I don't think it's either of those. I think it's. I again, I think it was some sort of foreman. Situation <laughs> was like on top of a ladder, and little kids kept running under it. And he's like, "That
0: that's fifty. That's years? bad luck." Girl, go to hell. um There was also, and so there's a lot I don't know about Christianity. Just heads up, guys. Like I don't have a lot well, of exposure me. to it. I got you. Uh There was a ladder that rested against the crucifix, which became a symbol of wickedness, betrayal, and death.
1: This is again a day problem. I mean, okay. They they probably used a ladder to right. get
0: them And then the up ladder there. was just there.
1: But in like, I don't, but my, you know, me growing up, if I had like a crucifix necklace, it didn't have yeah, a little ladder, ladder on it.
0: <laughs> a little ladder charm that That's you could That's nothing.
1: Attach. The ladder is nothing. <laughs> I don't, I'm not like a deep biblical scholar, but mm-hmm. I don't think the ladder is anything. So
0: you feel comfortable walking under a ladder? Do I
1: feel comfortable? No. But not because of Jesus. It's just because, like, it's you shouldn't.
0: What about opening an umbrella indoors? <laughs> uh,
1: That one I feel like is just rude. I feel like it's rude to do that because it's probably wet and you're going to get drippy drips on people.
0: I saw two explanations. One was, like... Uh- some culture placed a lot of value on their very fancy umbrellas and another one was like umbrellas used to be super dangerous and so it was a good idea not to open them umbrellas and,
1: used to be super dangerous they were
0: very like faulty like the mechanism was not reliable and so you could very <laughs> easily hurt yourself
1: just the top would go just launching off and impale somebody <laughs> I don't but they'd know. be dry
0: i don't know um I have two more. One is about the number 13, which is actually relevant because this Friday is Friday the 13th. Oh, the interesting. So you're ready. this one's
1: religious, right? Of yes. some like, Okay, yes.
0: Judas was the 13th guest at the last supper. Uh and then also and this is Wait, that's it. Yeah, he's just, you know, he's a bad guy and he was number 13. <laughs> okay. You don't want to be 13. That's because, really it. I thought it was different. Well, there's another one. So there were 12 gods invited to dine in Valhalla. Loki was the god of strife and evil. Crashed the party, raising the number to 13. The other gods tried to kick Loki out. Baldur the favorite, was killed.
1: So not a great time
0: for Yeah, a, so just 13, films. not a good idea. Here's the one I think you'll like. This is about your friend, the moon. I love the moon. Mm-hmm. Greeks knew that the moon and its goddess Luna held the tides in their thrall. And Aristotle considered the human brain to be the moistest organ, (laughs) particularly susceptible to Luna's pull. So your brain is like the wettest. And since Luna oversees the moon, the moon pulls the tides on a full moon. You have to be really concerned about the impact on your moist organ. Aristotle, you said? said yes. this mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Aristotle was like that brains the that, gooshiest. what's the, what that brain do though it's the gushiest that's gooshiest. a gushy brain you got there mm-hmm. gotta be careful the moon doesn't pull it right out of the top mm-hmm. of your skull people I'm still Ari- talk
0: a lot about him.
1: I'm Aristotle the smartest one alive right now but folks don't <laughs> worry it's gonna get a lot better than me mm-hmm. I know you hear me say stuff like the brain's the wettest organ And so the moon's going to whip it around in your head like a bumper car. And you're going to (laughs) think, this is the smartest one? Don't worry. It's going to get smarter from here.
0: Hippocrates apparently also said, one who is seized with terror, fright, and madness during the night is being visited by the goddess of the moon.
1: Is that better or worse than your wet, wet brain (laughs) is slip sliding away?
0: I... I love it. It's I just fun. I love it. I think it's fun. I think I think superstitions by their nature are just like doing things without really understanding why you're doing it, but yes. just being a little terrified that if you don't, there's going to be some kind of negative result. And who doesn't want a little more luck in their life? Sure. Right? It's the
1: original chain letter. Kind yes. of. I guess a little bit.
0: I think a little bit.
1: Can I do my first yes. thing? My first thing is murder mystery parties.
0: Oh, Griffin.
1: I've only done a couple of these but they they left quite an impression uh, because there's a lot of things about a murder mystery party that is just right up right up my alley um, I guess for one thing it's a party that you can win and that's rare.
0: But doesn't it okay, so this is what's been hard for me in my previous experience with murder mystery, which has only been twice here in Austin. Yes. have you done them prior to living here? No okay. I find that if people don't share the commitment to it, it becomes very frustrating for me.
1: I But I don't know that that has been true for the murder mystery parties that we have attended. I recall, are you about to put our
0: friends on blast? No, no, no. These are people we don't actually know very well. I recall having conversations with people who seemed deceptive to me just because they were approaching it differently than me and so a lot of times I'd be like I can't trust that guy he's a shady character and then I find out later like he was just kind of drunk yeah was <laughs> no. this,
1: are you talking are you sub me right now no no
0: okay. no I you know I enjoy you inebriated it's one of my I faves. didn't enjoy
1: me inebriated at this <laughs> the first murder mystery party I ever went to because um,
0: I didn't exactly knives out it I didn't necessarily
1: use my little gray cell you
0: did disappear for a while and then I found out later it was not I was out
1: I was out front doing some heavy breathing
0: it does not have to do with your character
1: no a lot of people did think that was a clue though which <laughs> is fun um i like it it brings out the spirit of uh competition with your friends and it's in a uh you know a setting where that's not normally true and i think that's really fun a big thing for me is that it is a guaranteed party activity Sometimes when I like before I go to a party I get anxious about like what I'm actually going to be doing at that party. Like am I going to find am I going to find a zone where my friends are hanging out where we can all chill mm-hmm. and talk or you know have snacks or what I, I I would like to know that I'm going to have some sort of nice activity cuz I've been to parties where uh, even I I might know some people there and it, I still feel unmoored in a way of just like, I don't really, I don't have a headquarters at this you party. You need a
0: job, kind of.
1: I'm not a, not a job. That makes it sound like I don't know how to party. I do. I'm a fucking monster. <laughs>
0: yeah. Okay. Uh,
1: but I do I do like knowing that like, I'm gonna have a, a comfortable
0: mm-hmm. area
1: there mm-hmm. and knowing that there's gonna be a murder mystery to solve, like that fixes that for me. Uh, Solving mysteries is also, like, fun as hell and not something that you usually get to do. True. uh, Unless you have, a like, a mystery-solving job, in which case you're probably not going to be invited to parties like these. (laughs) Um, Role-playing is fun to do. Also... It's fun to see your friends do role playing, especially if they're the types of friends who like you don't like play D anD D with or anything
0: like that. Did you feel like either time you were close to and or solved the mystery? No, God, no. And that wasn't frustrating to you? Uh, I guess a little bit.
1: I think I, I more enjoyed being a player in the on the stage. <laughs> I enjoyed. Being, oh, me, Dr. Hatfield? (laughs) Have I seen the vial of the shrinking potion? It's been a long time since we did one of these.
0: As, As somebody who likes to win... I'm not saying that you're like a super competitive nightmare, but like you're somebody that likes to figure something out and do it well. It wasn't frustrating to you to not to no, crack
1: it? because like you mentioned, like it is actually there are a lot of there are a lot of ways that these things can break bad. Yeah, you could have one person there who is just being shifty for no reason.
0: Yeah,
1: uh, and then that can just like throw off the whole thing because it's yeah. tough to ask a bunch of people to come into your house and pretend to be other people, and also here's clues and don't spill the beans and play your part. And there's going to be people who aren't equipped for that. Yeah. I, I I, am, for whatever reason, not especially competitive when it comes to this specific and only this thing. <laughs> only this. Um, I just, I really like being, I think I just like being, I think I might like LARPing. Like, if we could get all of our yeah. friends to go out to the park and just LARP a little oh, bit. Oh, man. Just a little LARP around. Maybe for, like, my 40th birthday party, like, a big one that I can be like, you all fucking owe me. <laughs> take this take this you know foam sword
0: what do you think i'm missing right like why do you think that it's it's not it's not a thing i'm comfortable with cuz i i'm open to it but it also makes me very uncomfortable yeah. and i'd like to know kind of what hurdle i what need if, to overcome
1: what if we could like murder in small town exit or to use a reference that more than 6 people are going to get <laughs> what if we could like truman show it where you're the only person trying to solve the murder and everybody else's actors
0: that might be fun okay that might be fun unless it became this thing where it was like very embarrassing that I hadn't figured it out. It's like, you know, when you're watching somebody play charades yeah. and like everybody else has figured out what they're doing and the one person that's guessing has no idea.
1: Yeah. I mean, that would be pretty savage, <laughs> uh, but you would just have to not do it. It would add extra pressure for you to to crack it.
0: And that's always fun.
1: That's always fun. I also, my last thing, I like that they have a built-in conclusion. So if you're hosting the party, you can be like, well, get out. That's it. murder solved
0: we yeah we've been to a couple of them I think they were both kind of purchased off the internet as little packages, right? If I remember correctly. There were like you said, how many people were in your party, and they would give you the right number of characters for that many people.
1: Yeah, there. I mean, this this was a you know there were various variations on different parlour games like in the early 19th century that were mm-hmm. kind of this mafia basically came out of this the the game that werewolf was was sort of originated from. Uh, but they had these very very brief. Like year long swings, like in the 80s and 90s, where they would sell them in uh, box sets called How to Host. Uh, and they would be like little box sets it's like the thing that they played in that one episode of The Office like it was basically that but then once the internet sort of became a thing that everybody had everywhere all the time yeah. uh, distributing those became obviously a, a much easier uh, prospect so I just
0: realized the second time I did this you weren't in town and maybe that's why I didn't enjoy yeah. it as much the first time we got to be this like sweater vest couple and we both wore turtlenecks and sweater vests and I can't remember it yeah, was a then, ship yeah but then But then the second one, it was like a high school reunion theme, and I was the girl that went to Harvard and wanted everybody to know she went to Harvard.
1: Did that hit a little? Did that hurt?
0: (laughs) Well, so I like went to the trouble of buying a Harvard sweatshirt, but I don't think people really got that was my character. I think they thought I was just kind of a dick. (laughs)
1: Oh, no. Well, uh, I'm sorry to abandon you like that. I was (laughs) out solving real murders. Real murders, yeah. Sorry, everybody. I guess Rachel wanted them to get away with it, <laughs> but uh, I don't have. I don't want to talk anymore because my throat hurts. Can I steal you away?
0: Yes, please.
1: It can be intimidating trying to roll with the console cowboys in cyberspace. Um, there's always the worry that maybe they know something that you don't vis a vis website design
0: Is that when you order uh, meals to be delivered to you, they can only be for dinner. That's true because of the law.
1: Not me. Shredded chicken and loaded mashed taters with, I changed the word, they say potatoes, but I said taters, precious, with mushroom (laughs) gravy, smoked cheddar, uh, bacon, and Parmesan broccoli. Uh, this, This menu is out of sight, and my mouth is just watering looking at these glossy JPEGs of tasty food.
0: So head to factormeals.com slash wonderful50 and use code wonderful50 to get 50% off. That's code wonderful50 at factormeals.com slash wonderful50 to get 50% off. Can I read you our first personal message? Mm. This is for Squawks. It is from your best gal. To my dearest Squawks, you are made of light and love. The life we've built with peepums and pie reminds me every day how lucky I am to know your patience and kindness. I only wish I could tell the whole world how truly spectacular you are. For now I'll start with letting the wonderful listeners know I've done it. I've found the best boy.
1: Sorry, Derek. I'm talking to Derek who's standing in the
0: room. Oh, with us who now. thinks he's the best Derek. boy?
1: You're finished.
0: Yeah, sorry. You're nothing now, Derek. It squawks.
1: It squawks now, Derek. Hold on. Derek left. I feel terrible. Mm, Derek I mean, didn't deserve Derek this. Derek had to
0: know that squawks was. Biting,
1: biting his ankles, nipping at those heels. Here is another message. This one's for Leah, and it's from Alex, who says to my wonderful sister Leah, "I know I won't be able to afford a good wedding gift for you and Brand Dog because I'm just your poor, dumb baby sister. So, I hope this dose of McElroys will do. Wishing you a lifetime of love, like Rachel and Griffin have for hot dogs and each other. Lila's, because you're my sister, Alex.
0: It almost sounded like you said Griffin there."
1: Did I say Gearfin? It sounded like you were saying Gearfin a little bit. I for sure said Lila's.
0: Yes. Which, That I of course, stands for love. You like a SpongeBob. Exactly.
1: I've got a message
0: for you. Hi, it's me, April Wolf, the host of Switchblade Sisters and co-writer of the new horror film, Black Christmas. And I'm Katie Walsh, film
1: critic and occasional host of Switchblade Sisters. We're here
0: to announce that, for one episode, we will be doing something a little different. Much like Jeff Goldblum in David Cronenberg's The Fly, I will be going through a truly disturbing transformation. April will transform from the interviewer into the interviewee. I will be asking her all about her new film, Black Christmas, her writing process, and ongoing existential dread. But I will also be discussing John Carpenter, perfect masterpiece prince of darkness
1: you guys seen any movies you like
0: so tune in to switchblade sisters for a a one-of-a-kind episode with april wolf and me katie walsh
1: see you then only the
0: corrupt i listen to now can i tell you my second thing yes my second thing is moon towers
1: these are the the
0: is there a murder history to these Maybe. Okay. But not confirmed. <laughs> okay. So we pretend maybe that it's not. Okay. We can.
1: We should talk about it because I yeah. can't just say something like that and we don't no, we return to it. we will talk about it. Cool, cool, cool.
0: Wasn't on spending a lot of time on it. All right, all right, all right. It's a great way to start this segment though. Yeah, I'll just do as many days when to When confuse... I said superstitions, you didn't jump to murder, but you could have. Right, maybe. I guess. But with moon towers... They're only in Austin. They don't exist anywhere else.
1: Nowhere. uh, Maybe you should explain what they are.
0: Okay. Moon towers. So in 1894, Austin purchased 31 used moonlight towers from Detroit. The whole idea behind moon towers was that um, cities all over the United States were starting to produce outdoor lighting. And with a moon tower, you could get a significant amount of light. And it was more in that way, cost effective than getting a bunch of different lampposts. It's
1: basically a street light if a street light wasn't a fucking baby about it.
0: Yeah, it's it's like a water tower. I mean, the reason they're called moon towers is that they they shoot like 15 feet up in the sky, and they are able to shoot light over a, a much larger amount of space. Let me find... I have that. Okay. Okay, they're much taller than 15 feet. <laughs>
1: Just gonna say that's not very tall, babe.
0: So, moon towers are 165 feet tall. <laughs> that's
1: way bigger.
0: That's 11
1: times bigger.
0: I remember that there was a one and a five in there. Forgot about the six Holy in the middle. Holy shit. 165 feet tall and they illuminate a 1500 foot radius. They're bright as hell. Yeah, they're super bright. Um, Austin had 31. When they uh, bought them from Detroit,
1: did Detroit, was Detroit using them at that point, or was were they just making them?
0: They were making them. Okay, but they bought them. They bought them used from Detroit. Okay. Uh, in this time period, Austin's population was only around eighteen thousand people. Ah, uh, they first went up in the Hyde Park neighborhood, which was Austin's first suburb. Uh, now there's only about fifteen in existence in Austin, so about half that many. Uh, cities all over the United States were starting to explore these options. Uh, the hilly terrain of Austin made it a little difficult to do the street lamps. Uh, so this is so why instead the... they
1: used 165 <laughs> foot tall Uber street lamps.
0: Um, they were connected to electric generators at the Austin Dam. Um, and in 1920s. Their original carbon arc lamps uh, were super bright, but time-consuming to maintain. Uh, so there was a big kind of overhaul of them in the 90s where they dismantled every tower and restored them uh, to make them last like, you know, 50 more years. Um, the, the way you may know about them, because again, they don't exist anywhere outside of Austin, is from Days and Confused. Right. Uh, in 1993... There was a party at the moon tower, and Dazed and Confused, and this was actually one that they artificially created for the movie. Really, I didn't know that. Yeah, because moon towers aren't designed to be climbed. Um, oh, right. They're not. They're not like water towers in that way, and so they had to construct one that was climbable for the film. Okay. Yeah.
1: You uh, just sounded so Texas, by the way, when you said the word water towers. <laughs> it was like you were on some for real Tammy Taylor shit, and I've never been more turned on in my life. <laughs>
0: maybe the Tammy Taylor-sized glass of wine that I've had this evening. Yes. Uh, Here's where the murders come in. So around that time period, there had been some serial killings. And so there was a suggestion that maybe the Moon Tower movement was motivated by a desire to kind of light up these neighborhoods to make them safer. Yeah. But obviously there's nothing written down anywhere of like, and we shall erect these towers to address the murder issue. Like, it's it's not documented. Yeah. So they can't say for sure. Right. That's and serial
1: killers that. are also famously very skittish. <laughs> so you turn a light on one of them like a cockroach. They just zip right away. It did
0: say, actually, when I was reading about it, that after these were installed, the murders did cease. So...
1: What were they murdering to get more streetlights so that their kids <laughs> could play hockey in the street at night? Was it just a very ill-advised protest? What's Who's going on? let to say? Okay. To say?
0: Um, there's a little documentary online. It's called The Last of the Moonlight Towers. It's like 50 minutes long. Uh, it's available for rent on Vimeo. It seems very cute. You can watch the trailer for free. Uh, talking about the, the different reasons for the creation of the Moon Tower. Yeah. But it's just a really beautiful thing. And they're like, the way they're set up in Austin, they're kind of total surprises. Like if you're walking around High Park, for example, you'll just be walking on the street and you'll just kind of run into one. Um, they're all, as of 1970, recognized as Texas landmarks. Um, and they are listed in the National Register of Historic Places. Huh. Um Of, only six are in their original locations. And the one in Zilker Park that makes the Zilker Park Christmas tree is still there. Oh, that's right. So the big Christmas tree they string all the lights to that they claim is the world's largest Christmas tree is actually attached to a moon tower.
1: That's neat. Mm -hmm. I had no idea. They're so so neat. They're so pretty. If you've never been to Austin and ever seen them, like, they are, for a city that is as... Sort of hippy dippy as Austin is to have these monolithic like industrial pieces of like electronics yeah. all over is like really kind of I mean they're not I don't know it's not like brutalist or anything like that it, but but it, they they do stick out I feel like well, in a really neat way
0: and the thing about Austin that was a little troublesome to me when I moved here is I felt like it was a city that was abandoning its history. You know, like everything was brand new. There were all these new high-rises. It seemed like the city was constantly under construction. And it wasn't until I spent some time in Hyde Park that I thought, oh, there are pockets of Austin that are really connected to the history. Um, And what's great about Moon Towers is, yeah, I mean, they've been around for over 100 years. It's like a real reminder.
1: Of of those grisly grisly murderers. Yeah, Rachel (laughs) never letting people move on like it's Uh. they've grieved already let's drop it you know (laughs) uh i want to do my second thing please i'm gonna be so brief with it i'm gonna let the singing do the talking for me for the most part oh okay because i'm going to talk about key changes key changes are the most powerful things Mm. that you can do in a song scientifically Mm. speaking uh, it's formally known as modulation. I mean, a key change is what it says on the 10. You don't have to be, I think, especially well-versed in music to know what a key change is. It's mm-hmm. where you take the key of a song mm-hmm. and you make it different from what it was where it started. Mm-hmm. A lot of the times following certain sort of harmonic rules. Uh, and I just really love them. I feel like they were the original sort of dubstep drop before yeah, we had dubstep drops. good point. Uh, and that goes all the way back to like classical music. There are certain like forms of classical music where key changes play like a defining part in in, in that form. Uh, I learned about a son- the, the sonata form is a, a you know a formal piece of classical uh, a formal type of classical music where uh, there are three movements and a key change uh, separates.
0: I know about the Moonlight one. The Moonlight
1: Sonata, yes, yeah. Fa- uh, famously. Yeah, because I've talked about it on this show, The where it pops off. I think it's the second movement that's like, that kicks ass, man. Uh, but yeah, I, to establish the kind of raw power that I'm talking about, I'm going to start by discussing sort of the most influential uh, hit song that really revived this particular phenomenon. Uh, it wasn't until this song came out that, I think musical artists sort of realized what they were capable of doing with their craft. Um, And the song that I am talking about is, of course, Billy Ocean's Get Out of My Dreams and Into My Car. you're not you haven't you didn't just listen to it but do, I did do you remember the the incredible a lot of people like to talk about uh coming in the air tonight is having like the best drop of a song from that era the gun, 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 gun. I would argue that the key change in get out of my dreams get, in, get into my car is like there's so much pretense to it they like stop the music and there's like duh, duh, get out of my there's like yeah. a pregnant pause there that i could just take a nap in Uh, but of course you know that's not the only song to really benefit of a key change Uh, I mean it hits hard and it hits good but what I like about key changes is that they can make good songs great but they can make terrible songs kind of good (laughs) and to illustrate that point I'd like to play Mr. Biggs To Be With You
0: oh Griffin this is perfect
1: Mr. Big's To Be With You is not a good song, traditionally speaking, by any metric that you I could measure it by. I love
0: it, though, Is a youth. Sure,
1: sure, sure. Yeah, I would roller skate to this one. Absolutely. What really fascinates me, it, this song, I think, only stands the test of time because of the key change that you get in the middle of it <laughs> and because of how much stink they put sort of on it. What I love about the key change in To Be With You is that it only lasts for one like, repetition of the chorus, and then they drop back down to the original tonic. (laughs) You fucking cowards. Like, I've never... I can't think of too many other songs where they do that, where they're like, Oh, brace your asses. I'm the one who... (laughs) But then they're like, no, guys, it's almost like they went, it's too high, too high, too high, too too high. high. Drop it back down. Uh, Of course, this is uh, not the only song that has more than one key change. It's to sort of leave us, leave us off. And really the song I was thinking about when we started doing this segment, the song that everybody's probably wanting me to talk about. What do you, what's the song that you think of as having most key changes in it? Because I feel like this answer is pretty set in stone.
0: Oh, I'm so bad with this stuff, Griffin.
1: Love on top.
0: Oh, God, yeah. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Love
1: on Top is.
0: Oh, that's so good.
1: Exquisite. It's a good song and just, it's a good song. It's a good, good song. And if she had had no key changes in it and just had that like fun music video, it would have been like, this is a good song. But instead, Beyonce was like, let's do a key change and then another one and then another one and then a fourth motherfucking key change. (laughs) Because I'm Beyonce and I just have these key changes lying around.
0: It's like Mariah Carey, right? Like people, there are people that realize they can do it. And then it's like, how far can I go? You know?
1: Probably, I think, I think Beyonce probably could have done about four or five more. <laughs> it's just that the song, they ran out of tape <laughs>
0: on that one. It's like, hey, Beyonce, we got to get home by eight. It's 7.58. You've done, you've
1: done 64 key changes. You've got to stop. you found a new octave. We're all very tired. We're very <laughs> impressed. We're very tired. Mm -hmm. Key changes. They're powerful. Use them responsibly.
0: Are you going to play some love on Tom? I already did. Oh, good.
1: (laughs) Uh, I got some submissions from our friends at home. Please. Uh, Kaylee says, my wonderful thing this week is the Rubik's Cube. I finally learned how to solve one this week and the absolute joy and adrenaline I felt when I saw all the sides solved was amazing.
0: Have you prioritized this as a thing you want to learn how to do?
1: Never in my life.
0: Me neither. I can't care about it. I understand why people do. There's no part of me that wants to know how.
1: Justin's deep into it. Travis is just now getting into it. I can't, I cannot be, I hate, I love puzzles and games and all that shit. Mm -hmm. The two things I don't, I don't fuck with is slide puzzles and Rubik's cube, which is basically six slide
0: puzzles. I know that there is a way to do it. I understand that it takes some skill and some practice and like anything that takes skill and practice, uh, it can be very impressive it is, it, man.
1: It ju- it makes me tired.
0: Yes. It's like if I dropped 100 pencils on the ground and I had to pick each one up one at a time.
1: And also you could mess up very badly how you pick. Yes. <laughs> uh, Emily says, well, hi. Something I love is small town weirdness. I'm from a very small community that's obsessed with squirrels. I mean there's a giant squirrel stat- statue in the civic circle enough squirrel bridges to be in Ripley's believe it or not and in 2013 the spin doctors performed at the annual squirrel fest.
0: <laughs> Wait, what's a squirrel bridge?
1: Is this a bridge between like buildings so that squirrels can run?
0: Oh man. Across them? That is delightful. I like
1: that. I just made that up, but that might be what it is. I like that.
0: I mean, when I think of Huntington's small town weirdness, I just think of the endless food festivals. The many food
1: festivals that we do. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there was the big, the time that our mayor got abducted.
0: I don't think I know about that.
1: By aliens. Jean Dean, her name was. Mayor Jean Dean. Tell me more. Patron of the arts big booster for the for the local community theater productions got sucked up ed up in a spaceship once never saw her again. It made the news
0: huh She came back bristling
1: with tentacles hmm
0: covered in slime. are there Jean Dean bridges between buildings now so that she can skitter between there are no
1: more buildings. She smashed them all up under her huge gooey <laughs> it feet. It is weird
0: that I haven't It's heard weird to hear about
1: this the time our mayor got sucked up and turned into a big alien Godzilla. Jean
0: Dean, huh?
1: She fucked it all up. She exploded it. The uh-huh. whole town. And we've been rebuilding ever since. Huh. But, you know, it's it's home. <laughs> uh, thanks to Bowen and Augustus for these for our theme song, Money Won't Pay. You can find a link to that in the episode description. Tell me everything you know about Maximum Fun.
0: So here's the thing about MaximumFun.org. Uh, they are a site that hosts, uh, just dozens of incredible podcasts. Hundreds. That are funny, that are topical, uh, that can be narrative, that can touch your heart and your soul and your funny bone. And I would recommend you check it out.
1: It'll grab you right by the funny bone folks. Mm -hmm. Both of them. Mm -hmm. You got two, you're only going to need one. Two would be redundant. Mm-hmm. I'm. I don't Do feel good. Yeah, Do I don't feel good. Show? I don't feel good. I don't feel good.
0: Can I tell you a funny story about a mayor that I'm going to make up right now?
1: It would be a little derivative,
0: but this mayor, okay, was a
1: ghost. Are you making fun of my mayor?
0: And then, and then we created a whole throne for the ghost mayor. And the throne was haunted. And so oh. the ghost mayor was scared to go on the throne and nobody would go on the throne and then that throne became a white castle.
1: I don't know that that makes sense. My alien one had a beginning, a middle, and a end. <laughs> it had a whole dramatic arc and also was the truth. <laughs> and I think yours was a freaking lie. Burger Why King? would the ghost be afraid of a haunted chair?
0: Would you believe Burger King? <laughs> Yes! Okay, it was a Burger King. Hey, if you like your podcast to be focused and well researched, and your podcast hosts to be uncharismatic, unhorny strangers who have no interest in horses, then this is not the podcast for you. Again, yeah, what's your deal? <laughs> I'm Emily. I'm Lisa. Our show's called Baby Geniuses. And its hosts are horny adult idiots. We discover weird Wikipedia pages every episode. We discuss institutional misogyny. We ask each other the dumbest questions, and our listeners won't stop sending us pictures of their butts. We haven't asked them to stop, but they also aren't stopping. Join us on Baby Geniuses every other week on MaximumFun.org.